say a word of welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're always happy to have you be a part of Freedom Online. We are in a series uh, currently, as Becky alluded to earlier, that uh, started with the first three chapters of Genesis and is concluding with the final three chapters of Revelation, the bookends of Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, we, we went a little shorter on the musical part of worship on the front end of the service, and I'm going to preach a little bit shorter today. Some of you are going, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, There you go, Tony. Thank you. Need the encouragement. A little bit shorter today so that we have a little more time for worship at the conclusion of, of the message, and you'll see why we rearranged that way a little bit. Uh, we're picking up in Revelation 21, and in case you weren't here last week, I'm just going to quickly reset the stage so that it makes sense what we're diving into as we begin in Revelation 21, 21. In, in chapters 19 and 20, uh, where we were last week, we pick up there with the conclusion of the next period in history that's spelled out in Revelation. We don't know how quickly it's coming, but the next major piece in God's timetable of what he has planned for the future is the seven years of tribulation. It's this seven-year period when evil rulers under the influence and control of Satan are going to be established. And for a little period of time, for the first three and a half years, there's going to be prosperity on the earth, not for those who are followers of Jesus, but then the following three and a half years, the last three and a half years of that time of tribulation is just going to be a, a period of awful, terrible suffering uh, chapters 6 through 19 of Revelation spell out the judgments of God that are poured out during that time. And it's just going to be uh, like no other period in, in the history of the world that just unspeakable suffering is going to happen on the earth. And so much of what happens, not from the hands of God, but from the hands of, of evil rulers is going to be targeted at those who are faithful to Christ during that period. So at the conclusion of this seven-year period of time, which may be immediately upon us or it may be a ways out there in the future, but it is the next piece when those seven years are done, it's going to conclude with the Battle of Armageddon, this uh, giant uh, gathering of the armies that follow the evil leaders who are rising up against those who are faithful to God. And uh, in that moment, when it just looks like all is going to be lost, God is going to destroy his enemies. Christ is going to literally descend from heaven, leading the armies of heaven. And it's not going to be a close call in terms of how the, the battle goes. The enemies of God will be utterly destroyed. Uh, the false prophet and the beast are going to be thrown into hell forever. Satan will be cast not into hell but into the abyss where he's going to be held locked up for a thousand years. And apparently all the demons who have followed him are going to be locked up with him for a thousand years. And Jesus will literally physically return to this earth for a thousand years. And at the beginning of that 1,000 years, he will resurrect those who belong to him. Those who do not, those who are outside the family of God, will not be resurrected at that point. But those of us who have known him will be raised. And we will live for a 1,000 years here on the earth with him. And things will return to the way they should have been, the way they were in the garden. So for however long your life is and all the, the difficulties that we face here on earth now... They're going to be replaced with a thousand years on earth with things as they should be. And then the most baffling thing that we read in Revelation, at the conclusion of that 1,000 years, Satan is going to be released from his place of bondage, and he and the demons who have followed him are going to lead in one very brief final rebellion. Apparently the people who've lived during those thousand years 
we assume from what we read that they've been having kids and grandkids and that some of these generations that come along over those thousand years are susceptible to being led into deception. And it says for one final time, Satan will deceive the nations and there will be a great deception and there will be one great final conflict where all of those who have been led astray by Satan once again gather as a vast army to march against the people of God. And at that point... The battle is going to be over in an instant because fire is going to fall from heaven and the armies that oppose the people of God will be completely consumed. And at the conclusion of what we read last week, all, all human beings through all ages of history, the good, the bad, will be gathered before the great white throne of judgment and they will, all of us will stand before Jesus and Jesus says in Matthew 25 will be separated as sheep and goats those who belong to the family of God and those who do not and at the final judgment those whose names are not written in the book of life those who have not trusted Christ and been forgiven of their sins it says from, from all periods of history that those people will be cast eternally with Satan into the lake of fire they will irretrievably be forced into the final judgment of God and it will be a place of suffering and misery forever. Those who, whose names are recorded in the book of life, those who belong to Christ, who have trusted Christ, will enter into their reward. And that's where we concluded last week, at the final judgment. And what we read today picks that up. The thousand years are ended. All conflicts are now ended. And so today what we step into is our first really vivid glimpse of heaven. Now, it seems to me that among the, the major things that we really need to have some sense of as Christians, if we're going to hold on to a Christian worldview, that one of the things we have to have something of an idea about is what is before us and specifically the reality of heaven. And in all of my experience, it seems like the one greatest gaping hole in most Americans' theology is any sense of what heaven is like. Would you agree with that? I mean, people just seem to be utterly clueless about heaven. And when you hear people talking about heaven or, or you see depictions of heaven, any artist's renderings of their ideas of heaven, it doesn't come anywhere close to what's revealed in Scripture. I mean, to hear what people describe heaven being like, I think, if that's heaven, I'm not sure I want to go. I mean, people describe such a dumbed-down, boring experience that, that sounds horribly monotonous. It doesn't sound like what we find in the Scriptures. And we certainly don't find ourselves in the Scriptures floating around on a cloud in heaven with some chubby little angel in a diaper that looks more like the, the Huggies baby or something than it does like the warring angels that we, we find in Scriptures. We need to replace that anemic, pathetic view of the future and of our eternity with the reality of what the Scripture tells us about. And so it's going to come in two parts, this week and next week. We'll cover the final chapter next week. But today we'll cover chapter 21 where we'll begin in verse 1 where John the Revelator says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I I've used to always be perplexed by that. Over 70% of the planet's covered by oceans and seas, and the new earth isn't going to have any sea. Here's part of what I think is up with that. Understand that to all ancient minds, the sea was, was the most troubling, frightening, and disturbing thing on the earth. 
We look at the sea and go, oh, we all want a vacation there. It's so inviting. It's so beautiful and wonderful. It scared people to death in, in the first century and prior because it was nothing but the, the place where people go to die. The sea swallows people up. They didn't even have a compass to figure out how to get across the sea. So it was something to be avoided. It, it separated people. It swallowed people. It was the most frightening thing about the earth and as John describes the new earth, he's saying the scariest things about the earth are gone. The earth we live on today, over 70% of it, you can't even live on it. It's swallowed up by the sea. The new earth, everything is there for you to enjoy and inhabit. Verse 2, And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Don't, don't you love that image? Over the years, I've had the opportunity to do more weddings than I could count. And one thing that I've discovered is I have never done a ceremony for an ugly bride. Every woman, seriously, every woman who marches down the aisle as a bride is, is just beautiful on that. There's just something about a bride approaching her husband that she's beautiful. And, and John says, boy, what I saw when I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem descending, it was so beautiful. It was like just seeing a bride come down the aisle for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is not God's voice. It's probably the voice of the archangel, but it's not God speaking yet. And he says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And I want you to just, as we go through this, I want you to notice every detail you can about where we're going, but also about what we're going to experience. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Can you just imagine? Then the one seated on the throne, now God's about to speak, he said, look, I am making everything new. And he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega in Greek. That is the, the A and the Z. Thank you. Uh, the, the beginning and ending of the alphabet. And he says, and I am the beginning and the end. Those words also, they may be better translated, I am the source and the goal. It's a little bit easier to get my mind around that. I am the A and the Z. I am the source of your life, and I am the goal of your life. I not only made you, it's when you get to me that you discover this is what it was all about. This is what I was made for. God said, I am the source, and I am the goal, the beginning and the end, and I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And the one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or daughter. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That is how John speaks of hell. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues. He's referencing the wrath of God poured out progressively in chapters 6 through 19. One of those angels who was God's instrument of wrath came and spoke with me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He references Jesus as the Lamb. 
And then he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, it's interesting to note that the holy city, you're going to have to engage your imagination here today. You're going to have to picture things beyond what you know now. The new Jerusalem is always coming down but never arriving. Most theologians understand this to mean that the new Jerusalem doesn't sit on the earth, but that it is located above the earth. And when you read the description of the incredible uh, glory of the foundations of the new city, you'll appreciate why it would stay suspended so that the glory of God radiates through the translucent foundations of, of the city that is it is above the earth, apparently. It is arrayed with God's glory, and her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a, a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, just to be clear, the, the stones that are named here, some of them, the words don't translate well. We, we read what the, it says in Greek and kind of scratch our heads because we're not sure what that word is in English as to the stones. And this is one of those. The, a, a jasper isn't clear like a diamond, but the word that is used here that's sort of unclear, the description then is that it, it is clear like a diamond. So a lot of people believe that what he is describing it may actually be that it's, it's like a diamond. It's completely clear. The city has massive high walls with 12 gates, and 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. This is the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the city wall had twelve foundations, and the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. Let me just pause and say a word about this. There are twelve names on the twelve gates, the only twelve gates to the holy city, and there are twelve names on the foundations of the holy city. Now, we live in an age when the world is saying you Christians are closed-minded because you fail to accept that all religions are on a path toward the same God and ultimately we'll all go to the same heaven and no matter what kind of faith you have, it will all lead you to the same heaven and to the same God. And the description that John gives could not be more uniquely Christian. The seven gates representing for us entry into the presence of God are all labeled with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It is only through Abraham and his descendants that salvation comes to the world. It is the faith of, of Christians in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that brings us into God's presence. And the foundation of the city, each of the 12 layers of that foundation are labeled with the names of the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles become the revelators of the gospel message that salvation comes only by grace through faith in the crucified and risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. If the message of the world about every road leads to God, every religion leads to God, then we would find on the foundations of heaven the names of Allah, Buddha, Muhammad, and right on down the line, you don't. What you find is James and John, Peter and Andrew, right on down the line, these men of faith who point us to Jesus. This is the foundation on which God's throne rests. And then the one who spoke with me, this angel, he had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, 
its gates and its walls. I love this because I love to measure everything. I love to put a number on everything. Now, this is a measuring stick like you've never seen before. So, for John's benefit and ours, he measures the new holy city. What's the biggest city that, that you've ever been to? Anybody? What's a big city you've ever visited? I've been to New York. It, it's big. Actually, in terms of landmass, Los Angeles is bigger. I've been there. They're, they're both just gigantic. It's, it's, they're, they're huge. Jacksonville's huge. Huge cities. None of them can touch this city. When they measured the city, he said, is laid out as a square, and its length and its width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. That is somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. And its length and width and height are equal. We're going to return to that. This is the whopper. And then he measured its wall 144 cubits according to human measurements which the angel used. And the building material of its wall was it's the same word again that gets translated as jasper. I, I think it's going to, we're going to find that it's going to be diamonds, but it's, it's completely clear because these are not walls that are designed to hide anything or to protect anything because there are no longer any enemies on the loose. There's nothing we're going to have to keep out. These, these walls are going to be completely clear so that the glory of God is going to radiate through the universe and light all things at all times. And the building material of its walls was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundation of the city wall, foundations were adorned with every kind of uh, jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl, and the main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There's so much I don't have time to camp on, but let me just say a word about that, because it's so intriguing. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. Who are the kings of the earth? For a thousand years, the followers of Christ have been populating the earth and have been multiplying and have assembled themselves into nations under the lordship of Jesus who is now the ruler of all the earth in the new heaven where people just always universally say, well, I don't care what I am when I get there. I just want to get there. I don't care if I'm the lowest one. There are going to be levels of authority and responsibility right on up to kings on the new earth and even the kings of the new earth are going to bring their greatest riches, their greatest produce to honor God in heaven. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there and they will bring the, their glory, bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. 
Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now that is a mouthful, isn't it? And we're only half done. We've got chapter 22 yet to go, so you see why I had to just draw a line there, and you've got to come back next week, week for part B. But I want to just say a few things about all that we just read in chapter 21. And I, what I want to share with you to try and make sense out of, because if, if this is new to you, it feels overwhelming. You, you can feel lost in the description. So I want to just share three things with you. First of all, I want to share a, a few things about the place itself. John says a lot about the place. What, what we just collectively refer to as just heaven. So we want to describe as much as we can what John has said about the place. And then secondly, we want to talk about the experience. Because he doesn't just talk about the place that we're going to, but he talks about what we're going to experience personally that's equally profound. And then the last thing that I want to share with you is the very best part of heaven. So you just have to hang on till the end for that. And I'm going to do this very quickly because I want to, I want us to have some time to just enjoy and worship. First of all, the place itself. What John explains and describes for us is that heaven includes a new universe, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Bear in mind, when he says that, we, we get sort of confused with how we use the word heaven in English and how it's used in the Bible because when we talk about heaven, we can be talking about this whole uh, all-encompassing reality of, of a new Jerusalem, a new earth, and, and a new universe. We can just say heaven in general like that. But the word heaven typically refers to what is just out there beyond us the heavens above everything in the universe beyond and so when we when we read that there's a new heaven and a new earth remember that at the final judgment when jesus appears in all of his glory the scripture says that heaven and earth flee from his presence and they are no more peter says in his one of his epistles that all that we had known of the earth is consumed in fire they are gone and god the creator who in Genesis 1 and 2 exercised and demonstrated his vast creative power and, and glory in his creative abilities, now he reengages those. He is going to create again. And what he's going to create the second time around is the full version. He built a scale model, and now he's going to build the whole house. I mean, how crazy is this? And, and he begins to unpack this for us. I mean, isn't it cool to consider, you know, a lot of times before builders will get busy building a hospital or a skyscraper, they've got to build a little version of it that you can look at and tinker with. And, and it's really neat to see, but you can hardly imagine what it's going to be like to have the full-scale model. God is about to engage in his creative process again, but now he's going to build the real thing, a new universe. Imagine the galaxies and the planets that we're going to get to explore. Because you're not bound by gravity and the need for oxygen and stuff that you are now when you receive a glorified body. He creates a new universe, a new earth that is not the same as what we know now. You, you can utilize all of this new earth and a new holy city, Jerusalem. Now, the new Jerusalem is a key part of this. I'm going to say six specific things in relation to the place itself. And the first is this, that the New Jerusalem appears to be a translucent cube with a length, width, and height of 1,400 to 1,500 miles. 
It says, Now the city was laid out as a square. Its length was the same as its width. And he measured the city, and it was 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height were equal. And he also measured the thickness of its wall, and it was 216 feet thick. Now, I believe that what he's describing is a cube, as some people have pointed out. Uh, it, it could be a pyramid. The, the base is clear. It, the base of it is a square, and it's 1,500 by 1,500. Just to try and help you get your mind around how big that is, that's 2,225,000 square miles for the footprint of this thing. And I know that number escapes us. So in your mind, draw a line with me. Go down to the Gulf and Gulf Shores. Start there and draw a line straight north to Chicago. Everything from that line to the Pacific Ocean is your footprint. You're not quite as big as the footprint of the New Jerusalem. How's that grab you? And oh, by the way, this sucker is as tall as it is wide and deep. We still haven't fully got our heads around this. Now, it, it doesn't say for sure whether it's shaped as a pyramid or if it's shaped as, as a, a cube. The reason that I think that it's a cube is simply this. It's called the New Jerusalem, and we, you may say, well, what's the big deal about Jerusalem? It's a good question. What, what matters about Jerusalem? Why not the new Oklahoma City? Why not the, the, the new Paris? Or why, why the new Jerusalem? Why did Jerusalem matter? Because of the temple. Why did the temple matter? Because the temple was the place where the glory of God would dwell. And it wasn't just in the temple. Where was it in the temple? It was in the Holy of Holies. And the scriptures are so precise in describing the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a cube. It was 30 feet wide and 30 feet deep and 30 feet high. And one human being, once a year, got to crawl underneath that thick curtain that was the veil of the temple to go into the presence of God to offer a sacrifice on behalf of humanity into the presence of God in this, this unique little cube that couldn't begin to contain all of the glory of God. It was a model of the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. I'm going to stop chasing this rabbit in just a second, but I want you to have some appreciation for how vast this place is. I just said that it, it represents, the, the footprint of it would represent about 70% of the continental United States. That's just the footprint. It's as tall as it is wide and deep. So suppose we broke that into levels. And we just made each, I mean, just think about it like a multi-story building. And if you gave each story of the building a mile in between, you know, you build a building, you put 10 or 12 feet between each story. Suppose you put one mile between each story of this building. Do you know how much floor space that you have in that building now? It would equal 17 times the land mass of the earth today. And if you instead separated the levels by 1,000 feet instead of a mile, it would be 85 times the land on earth today. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Do you follow me? Just the holy city would give every one of us way more space than what we have on earth, and that's just the city where God dwells and where, and where we're going to be. 
It is an incredible place. The New Jerusalem will radiate God's glory in a variety of colors. That's the point of all of these different stones that are named. If you take the time to go back and read through how they correlate, the different foundations, you have crystal clear, you have light green, rich dark green, rich blue, uh, dark red, yellow, gold in all of these different foundations. What you're going to see is a rainbow of color exploding from the holy city which lights the entire universe. And it's not just going to be a bright white light that we go, oh, I can't look at that. Picture instead rainbows. Remember, things in nature today are a shadow of what is to come. When you see rainbows in the sky and you see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet on display, you're catching a little glimpse of the rainbow of colors that will be emitted from God's presence from the holy city as, as His glory radiates through these translucent stones. Do you just begin to picture something that's so unique and different from what we've ever known? The New Jerusalem has 12 gates, each made of a single pearl. In, in the ancient world, there was nothing viewed as more valuable than a, than a perfect pearl. And the 12 gates, vast gates, are each made of, of a pearl, and they'll never be closed. They're not there to protect anything. The significance of the 12 gates is that they always are open, and they're an indication for us that humanity comes and goes constantly from the presence of God to the earth, into the universe, that we're not just all sitting around in the heavenly choir adjusting our, our choir robes and, and you know, asking the hymn number of the next song. That there's constant movement and activity in, in the heaven that God is creating. There will be no temple or night in the New Jerusalem. We don't need night anymore because we're not going to have bodies that wear out and get exhausted. And it's never going to get dark because we're not relying on the rising and setting of a sun. The glory of God is unfading. Uh, there will be a main street made of transparent gold in the New Jerusalem, and the city itself will be made of this transparent gold. We get lost by stuff like that because it's like, well, I've seen gold and it's not transparent. I don't know how that works. I, I am curious if, if it's just going to be gold but for us, it's going to have a transparent quality because we're going to have an ability to see things that we've never been able to see before. You realize any time you look at a solid substance, the reality of it is when you look at it at an atomic and subatomic level, there's actually more space than there is matter there. We just don't have eyes that are able to penetrate through that space. It's curious to think that a time's going to come. You'll see the beauty of a city made of gold, but you'll also be able to see through it and the glory of God will radiate through that. We've all heard the... You know, the joke of the, the man who lived his whole life for wealth and when the time of his death approached, and he, he told his family, when I die, I want you to, to sell everything. I want you to convert it to gold. And I want you to put a sack with all those gold coins in the coffin with my body. I want you to bury me with that because I want to take it with me to heaven. And the family did exactly what he had asked. They buried him that way. And sure enough, when he got to heaven, he had that sack of gold right there with him. And the first person he met said, why did you just bring pavement with you to heaven? Who wants asphalt in heaven? We understand where that comes from. And finally, we each will have a home in the New Jerusalem. Jesus, in John 14, on the night that he's betrayed, said to his disciples, 
There is more than enough room in my father's home. The new Jerusalem is his father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The translations that say in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a room for you. That seems to dumb this down a whole lot. The holy city, if we could do the math on it, there's going to be enough room for you to have a space that is acres and acres, that's just your space, in the holy city near the presence of, of God himself. Now, you won't spend all of your time there. You'll, you'll have a home in the holy city. How wild is it to consider that Jesus the one who spoke everything in the universe that we now know into existence, that he said, when I go back to the Father, I am going, and I'm going to get busy preparing the place that you're going to come to. How wild to think that Jesus is making this place for us now. He is engaging his creative side to make a place that's just right for you. Wow! I don't know what you have in mind as your dream home, but this is it. This exceeds it. So that's just a word about the place. Secondly, I want to say a quick word about the experience. It's not just a cool place to go. Your experience is going to so surpass anything that you've known on earth. We will get a makeover that includes new bodies and no more pain, sadness, sin, or death. Somebody say amen. I'm back on the wagon right now of trying to eat healthy. In the morning, I'll be back in the gym. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. And I'll be hating every minute of it. Sweating like a pig in the sun. Just trying to shed 20 more pounds and get in shape to live another 50 years or whatever. You know, just, just trying to make the most we can of the bodies that we have now. There is a time coming we're going to trade this skin in. And we're going to get something that doesn't wear out. It doesn't get fat. It doesn't get wrinkled. It doesn't get sick. There's not going to be any pharmacies in heaven. There's not going to be Blue Cross Blue Shield in heaven. We're not going to need to go to the dentist in heaven. All of that will be a part of the distant past because all things have been made new. I mean, that, that's the coolest thing that I read in, in Revelation 21. God saying, I make all things new. Woo! I'm ready for the new. Now, three things about that experience that I, I want you to notice. The first is that past struggles and failures will be forgotten. I've got a feeling you're probably like me, and I've heard a lot of goofy, jacked-up Christians talk about how when you get to heaven, it's going to be that big screen up there. We're going to see everything you ever did, the good and the bad. That does not come from Scripture. Not if you're a child of God. Because the struggles of the past will be forgotten. What are your struggles? Well, I struggle with some things with my body. I struggle with some sins. I struggle with guilt and shame about things in my past. Any of you ever feel that way? You won't feel that way in heaven. Because your struggles will be over. The struggles of the past will be forgotten. Isaiah says, speaking of, of this time, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth, and the troubles of the past will be forgotten. No one will what? No one will even remember them. 
Not only will God choose to never remember those struggles and failures, you won't remember them. Hallelujah! You'll never feel guilty again. You'll never feel ashamed. You'll never have regret. I should have done this more. Some of you grew up in a household where you wouldn't have known how to function without guilt. Guilt drove everything in your life. You still haven't escaped it. It won't be there in heaven anymore. No regret. Those things are forgotten. Second thing is this. The deepest longings of our hearts will be satisfied. He says this curious line, To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. In chapter 22, he talks about you'll be able to eat freely from the fruit of the tree of life. Very intriguing thoughts. Now, here's what I think about this. I can't prove it to you, but what I believe this is an indication of is not just that you're given access to you know, a, a fountain of youth, but in fact, the springs of the water of life and the fruit of the tree of life is a picture of the deepest Hunger and thirst in your soul. The deepest longings that you have in life are finally going to be satisfied. I mean, do you ever just have these, these times where you sense in your life, I was made for more. I mean, I'll just look at my life, and, and it's not that it's terrible, but there's just got to be more. I just know I was made for more. I feel like I'm, I'm just missing out on some of what God has made me for. Can I just tell you part of why you feel that? It's because it's so. You are made for more. And some of the more that you're made for is only going to be realized in heaven. Some of you, your creativity, you express it as best you can here on earth, but you won't get to fully express it until you get to heaven. And you will be so satisfied, like when you were hungry and you ate a satisfying meal. When you were so thirsty and you drank till you were just totally satisfied. Some of you, you were made to make music that would glorify God. And you've made music, but you just still feel like the greatest songs haven't come out of you yet. You're going to find that satisfaction in heaven. That's going to be good. The final thing we'll say about it is this. We'll be given bodies like that of the resurrected Jesus. That's really cool to consider. When Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he wrote quite a bit about the resurrection and the bodies that we'll have. And he said, someone may ask, how are the dead raised and what kind of body will they have? And he responds, foolish person, when you sow a seed, it must die in the ground before it can live and grow. And when you sow it, it does not have the same body that it will have later, but God gives it a body that he has planned for it. And it's the same with the dead who are raised to life. The body that is planted will ruin and decay, but it is raised to a life that cannot be destroyed. When the body is planted, it is without honor, but it is raised in glory. And when the body is planted, it is weak, but when it is raised, it's powerful. It's a, it's a wonderful, profound image that God gives us from nature. He loves to use nature to show us these greater realities about life and about the future. And so the, the analogy that he gives us is if you want to understand something of your resurrection body, think, for instance, about an acorn. Imagine if you had never in your life seen a tree. You'd never seen an oak tree. You'd only seen acorns. There are more than 200 varieties of oak trees. You'd never seen any of them, but you'd seen over 200 varieties of acorns. And if somebody was trying to explain to you how from this... An oak tree will emerge, and they try to just tell you of the glory of a, of a giant live oak. You could never begin to conceive that, could you? You just see this little nut. It's like, okay, 
We're just going to get a big nut? No, no, no. It's not just going to be a big nut. It's going to have this huge root system and giant trunk and bark and big limbs and leaves and all these things will will light on it and grow from it. It's just amazing. Well, okay, so it's pretty much going to be a big nut. No, 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 it's so much more than the nut. Well, okay, but if it's just, if it's an expanded version of the nut, then I've got to be careful what we do with the nut after it's it's buried in the ground. No, you don't. I hear Christians that kind of freak out about, oh, I don't want this or that done to me after I die because when I'm resurrected, you know, I don't want to give my body to science because I don't want to be missing any organs when I get resurrected or I, I don't want to... I don't want to be cremated because I want to have something left that God, God can bring back together. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand the resurrection. God is not dependent on reclaiming those cells. I mean, again, use the analogy of, of a seed or an acorn or something. I mean, have you not ever watched how stuff grows? What we have in every flower bed, we have like countless Volunteer oak trees come up. I think somebody comes around at night and throws acorns in all of our flower beds. Just all these little oak trees. So you have to pull them up all the time. Well, when you pull them up, well, the acorn's still there at the bottom. It's just, it's just split apart and it's just died and it's, there's just almost nothing left of it. But if you look, it's still down there in the ground. It's not that the acorn gets bigger and becomes the tree. It's just the thing that's kind of left behind. Life has sprung from it that shared something in common. It shares the DNA, but it's not the acorn. When God resurrects you, He's not having to reclaim those dead cells. Your body's going to rot or be burned up or eaten by worms or whatever, and God's not going to go, well, I ain't got much left to work with, but we'll do the best we can. That is not how it works. That's why Paul said, foolish people understand how this works. You want to know what you're going to get in terms of a resurrected body? Look at Jesus post-resurrection. It's pretty mind-blowing. There's continuity and there's discontinuity. I mean, people could recognize him, but they didn't always realize immediately that it was him. There's continuity in terms of they could see who he was and they could see the wounds of the cross. Feel the nail holes, the nail prints. Feel the hole in my side. There's continuity. They could see his body. He could eat with them, and he wasn't a ghost. He, he could enjoy the fire, enjoy the fish from, from cooking on the fire. He was a physical being, but he was no longer bound by the laws of physics that govern what we experience. People are in a locked room, and Jesus is not with them, and he just, he just walks through locked doors. He's no longer bound by those laws of physics. He can just walk in and walk out, and nobody unlocks or opens the door. When it's time for him ascend to, to ascend into heaven, gravity has no control over him anymore. He can operate within the bounds of gravity and walk around like we do on the earth. But when it's time to go back and be with the Father, it's just three, two, one, lift off. <laughs> I'm out of here. What's really wild to consider, and don't think I've lost my mind when I say this, but things like the ultimate superhero, the man of steel, are actually rooted in the realities of the resurrected Jesus. You can't kill him. You can't hurt him. He can fly. He has just, you know, unlimited abilities. And yet, he's human. He's, he's, he's still flesh, but he's more than flesh. And so, some of the same things that you could say about Superman are going to be true of your new body. But you don't have to wear spandex all the time, you know, to, to have the, that new body. And then the third and final thing that we'll say is this. The best part, we save the best for last. The best part about heaven is that God Himself will once again live among us. What's the name of the whole series? Paradise Lost 
and found. Lost and recovered. Where did we have paradise to begin with? In Eden. What was the sweetest part about Eden? God would dwell right there with Adam and Eve. And He would walk and talk and just enjoy company with a sinless Adam and Eve. The most breathtaking thing in Revelation 21 is this declaration. Now God's home is with people. He will live with Him. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and will be their God. And I didn't see a temple in the city. The Lord God, all-powerful, and the Lamb were the city's temple. And the city didn't need the sun or the moon to shine. The glory of God gave the city light. The Lamb was the city's lamp. The peoples of the, of the world will walk by the light given by the Lamb. And the rulers of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the city's gates will never close on any day because there is no night there. Would you just pause to consider the almost unimaginable reality that, that God, not, not God whose glory is, is veiled and hidden in fleshly form in the person of, of Jesus on the earth, but God in all of His revealed glory. The God whose very presence, when He reveals Himself in His fullness on His throne to judge all of humanity, the physical universe flees from His presence. This is the God who when He revealed Himself to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, He gets this, this vision of the reality of God descending on the temple, coming to fill the Holy of Holies. And Isaiah says, just the train of His robe fills the temple. The angels that surround Him are calling out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of the earth is filled with His glory. And all that Isaiah could say in response is, Woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen God. This is the God whose glory is so great the entire universe is illuminated by Him. God gave John a glimpse into the reality of heaven and what's going on now and what's going to be going on in eternity. Becky read just a portion of this for our call to worship today, but I want to just read again for you, and, and I want you to I want you to just let your your mind try and press into this reality to recognize this is happening now as we speak. John says, "I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it, and the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald encircled his throne like a rainbow." And 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. These are humans who have been given the high honor of being the elders surrounding God's throne in heaven. And they are all clothed in white, and they had gold crowns on their heads representing the authority that they had been given. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. I was rolling the trash out to the street this week as a thunderstorm was about to roll in. 
and caught that, that bright flash of lightning nearby and that overwhelming power of the <laughs> There is no sound in nature that's more overwhelming than thunder from a lightning strike that hits nearby. Is there anything brighter than the radiance of a, of a lightning bolt that strikes nearby? We want to jump out of our skin because of the sheer power of that. And he says over and over, flashes of lightning, rolls of rumbles of thunder, and in front of the throne was a sea of glass sparkling like crystal, and in the center and around the throne were the four living creatures. One had the, the face of an ox, and one had the face of an eagle, and one had the face of a man, and one the face of a lion. And these creatures are designed constantly to participate and lead in the worship of God. And day after day and night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the One who was and who is and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the One sitting on the throne, the 24 elders, they fall down and they worship the One sitting on the throne and they lay their crowns before Him saying, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased we're going to have free access to God's presence we're not going to need a temple to go to anymore because the the temple and the church is a place where we hope to experience the presence of God you're never going to have to wonder where God's whether God's going to show up in worship because you're going to into the presence of God. But here's the amazing thing. You, you won't feel any hindrance about sin or your weakness or failure. You'll just have complete boldness to come freely as a child of God into the presence of God. And you want to know the most amazing, mind-blowing thing for me about the reality of what we've just read today? Is that we today are invited into God's presence. That we today are invited to draw near to the, the presence, to the unspeakable power and glory of God, the God who rules over everything, the God in whom everything is sustained and finds its being, that because we now bear the righteousness of Jesus rather than our own sin, we're invited into His presence. Classic Christian mystic writers through the ages have, have described how there is what we might just call a, a, a space with a, a, a thick mist or a fog separating what we know on earth in the natural, what we live in all the time, what we can see, smell, taste, touch, feel, and what's going on in the heavenlies. We just read a glimpse of what's happening in the heavenlies right now. We seldom have a real clear sense of that because there's a space, it's as if there's a mist between us and that now. John describes a time when, when we're completely immersed in that, but that's not while we're in this life. But the great Christian mystic writers describe that there are moments in our lives that they call the thin places where those two realities come so close to one another that you begin to feel and hear and see those realities 
spilling over into our experience. And two things seem to mark those thin places more than any other. One of them is when someone who is a child of God is right at death's doorstep. Many of you could testify to being with a loved one as they were dying, and it was a thin place. You felt the overwhelming greatness of the presence of God and the realities of angelic beings in the room because you were in a thin place. But the other one is in those times of worship when we just let go of everything else and we just turn all of our mind's attention and all of our heart's affection on the God who made us and we just begin to honor Him and give Him the praise and the glory that He is due and suddenly, without us controlling it, that space becomes very thin and we begin to feel and to know the reality of God's glory in our midst. My prayer has been that we would start experiencing thin places in this place. That we would feel and know the presence of God. God longs for that. God invites us into that. We've got to come with an expectation and a willingness to press into that. Do you long for that today? Church, do you long for that today? Do you long for the thin places and for the presence of God? If you do, would you stand with me right now? I want you to just, if you're hung up on time, I want you to either put your watch down or find your way to an exit whenever you're tired of being here. But we need some time where we just press into the presence of God. Would you just close your eyes? And would you let your heart just begin to focus in and center in on the God of heaven? And would you just begin to reach out to Him? I don't care if you raise your hands. I don't care if you get on your face. But would you just begin to call on His name? Would you just call on the name of Jesus in this place to give Him glory? Jesus, would you lift up the name of Jesus? Just call out His name again and again. Jesus, we need You. Jesus, we bless You. Jesus, we honor You. Would you just begin to honor the Father in this place? Father, You are our God. You are our Creator. You are the beginning and the end. You are the one who is faithful and true. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we honor You. We bless You in this place throughout history. The people of God, when their hearts just wanted to give praise to God and there's just no good words to do it, they would just begin to declare His praise with the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you just let your hallelujah begin to to come forth? Would you speak those words? It's just praise to Yahweh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the crucified and risen Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the one who is faithful and true. We worship you in this place. Jesus, we welcome you. We honor you in this place. Holy Spirit, come and lead us into worship. We're going to just worship in song. You feel free to stand, sit, kneel as always. If you have a need, there will be leaders at the front who'd love to pray with you and over you. But we just continue in a spirit of worship. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally any time that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. 
or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.